This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 21 Headmaster Clark's heels made an intimidating click, click, click as he walked down the row collecting the final essays. For many of the boys, this final essay of the year held their academic fate. Letters of recommendation to prestigious universities like William & Mary, Washington College, or the recently opened University of Virginia hung in the balance. For Eddie, the essay was far more important than setting his academic path. It was the first step in his dream of becoming a writer. The prospect of college didn't hinge on the essay. His entire life did. As Clark placed the reams of paper on his desk, the boys gathered their belongings. Some started to get up. Gentlemen, the headmaster interrupted. I have some news that will likely be discussed in social circles, and I would prefer that you heard it from me first. Half-standing boys sank back into their seats. It is with a heavy heart that I must inform you of my pending departure. You see, I've been given the opportunity to enter into the publishing world in the area of acquisitions. Now, if you have learned anything about me all these years, it is that literature is my life. Finding the next great writer will be, I believe, my life's great achievement. To quote the great Shakespeare, it is my end-all and the be-all. As much as I have enjoyed teaching you all these years, I cannot pass up this offer. I will be gone by year's end. I know this comes as a surprise to you all, and for that I am deeply sorry. I realize that a number of you are relying on my letters of recommendation to enter college. To you, I will gladly oblige where I see fit. And for those of you entering your final year, I have no desire to abandon you in your efforts either. I am taking great pains to ensure that a new headmaster will come forth post-haste. A din of shock and whispers fluttered around the room. The headmaster continued, I have taken it upon myself to write letters to each of your parents informing them of my decision, along with an invitation to a town hall meeting to address the future of the academy. Once my business affairs have been settled, I will look very forward to addressing concerns about the continuity of your education. I'm afraid that is all I can say on the matter for now, gentlemen. I wish you a good day, and as always, carpe diem. The usual group of boys gathered at the riverside that afternoon to play cards, drink, and talk about their futures. Eddie made sure to be among them. I can't believe Clark is leaving. Who do you think is going to take over? It better be someone good. My parents will kill me if I don't get into a good college. One by one, the boys expressed concern, excitement, and confusion. They batted around names and theories of the new headmaster, including the potential acquisition by the all-female Mrs. Mackenzie's School for Girls. Co-educational studies are the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Come on, Jack. You'd love to have a skirt or two sitting in front of you in class. How would we ever get anything done? The boys laughed. One thing is for sure, announced Preston. We need to give old man Clark a send-off that he'll never forget. The group voted unanimously that Eddie would be the one to pen the speech. He liked the idea, especially since it would mean having a chance at impressing a future acquisitions editor. Eddie knew Clark already liked him, so this was a real opportunity. A speech would be the perfect chance to make a good impression on the man who just might get him published once and for all. Eddie took his time walking home that evening. No more excuses, he thought. 
it was time to confront Juliet about her secrets kept. He wasn't looking forward to it. Wandering the streets of downtown Richmond, he forced himself to reckon with his shaking confidence and quash his nerves. Finally, he forged down Tobacco Alley, through the rear yard, and into the kitchen where he knew he would find her. "'Haven't seen y'all in a while,' she said. "'Yeah, it's been some time.' Juliet could sense something wasn't right. "'Get you something to eat?' Eddie shook his head. "'No, thank you. I do want to talk, though.' Maybe you and I can speak tonight. I've got my notes from the plantation, and I'm prepared to tell you everything I learned at the cabins. He reeled internally at the double meaning of the last sentence. Juliet agreed to meet later that night, and Eddie's demeanor instantly softened. She seemed genuinely interested in listening to what he had to say. The ill will he had harbored for days and days gave way to guilt, as if by magic and Eddie wondered if Juliet hadn't inherited a gift of conjure from her grandmother after all. Late into the evening, the house became quiet with Pa out at a tavern and Aunt Nancy reading quietly in her room. Ma had complained of fatigue yet again and retired to bed early once more. Eddie arrived in the kitchen with his notes, where Juliet had set a fire in the pit, more for ambiance than for heat. So, onto you seems very healthy, he began. Given her age, she appears to be well cared for by those in the neighboring cabins. Juliet listened intently as he recounted everything Eudoja had taught him about Letty, from her work as a respected mambo to her unfulfilled wish to reunite with her daughter and granddaughter. Despite their falling out, your grandmother loved your mom very much. Auntie you said she never forgave herself for not settling their affairs when you were born. Tears welled up in Juliet's eyes. She sat back in the recess of darkness to hide the pool of water building up on her lower lid, but the firelight only pronounced it with a twinkle. Thank you for that, Eddie. You're welcome. Eddie couldn't allow himself to feel any sympathy. Not just yet. He needed all of his strength to confront her with his last bit of news. Here we go. So, there's just one more thing. Auntie you and I had a good talk that evening. She told me a lot that I didn't know. She really opened up towards the end there. She told me, well, there's no way to put this lightly, Juliet. She told me about your plans. The room became completely silent. Juliet stared blankly at him in one final desperate attempt to maintain her ignorance. Ah. Uh, what the devil are you talking about? Eddie watched as Juliet's soft smile faded. He trained his eyes on her face, as though he was playing poker with the boys down at the river. She kept her stare trained on him, too, until finally she looked down, closed her eyes to grasp the reality of her now lost secret, and fought to maintain her signature composure. She told you, didn't she? Accidentally, yes. She thought I knew since, you know, since you and I are so close. He said it intentionally with vague sarcasm. Something's just best left unsaid, Eddie, she murmured. Eddie couldn't tell if she was angry, sad, scared, or perhaps a little bit of each. Despite it all, he couldn't stand to be so cruel. He had to put her at ease, even though he reeled in pain. In Auntie Yu's defense, he began, she didn't tell me much, Juliet. 
She said it out of concern, really. She's worried for you, and now so am I. Embers popped in the fire. Please, Julia, just talk to me. Whatever you're planning, you know you can trust me. If I were to wake up one morning and you were gone forever, I would be lost. (sighs) You'd be fine, she assured. No, I wouldn't. It would be the end of me. It took everything for Juliet not to roll her eyes, Eddie and his dramatics. And should I remain, it will be the end of me. It was her turn to stare intently at him now. The tables turned. Eddie looked away. You don't get it, do you? You can't truly understand my station, Eddie. Oh, you think you do, but you don't. You think just because we shared a childhood, just because we live under the same roof, that you and I are the same. We are not. You got the world at your feet, and you don't even know it. You're going to be a man in a blink or two, Eddie. You got money in your pocket. You got an education. You got fine clothes on your back. And you're what? Me? What do I got? Nothing. Tis like my mama used to say, them that gots gets. Don't matter the Allen's been good to me. I know it could be plenty worse. But can't you see? I want more. I deserve more. I need more, Eddie. You think you got it all worked out. Your plan to go to Boston and take me with you? And then what, huh? That ain't no plan, Eddie. I'm sorry. That's a pop dream for me. Boston ain't going to cut it. But Africa, he said incredulously. Shh, keep it down. Y'all going to get me found out. Sorry, he whispered. Liberia, Juliet, Monrovia. The tension in the room persisted. Eddie chose his words wisely. Look, Jules, you've got my word that I won't tell a soul. But I have to ask, how exactly are you planning on getting there? Any ticket is going to cost you, and how are you going to raise the money without anybody finding out? Despite what you think, you do not know everything, Eddie. There is a plan afoot. Whole mess of people trying to help. Good people, too. White, black, there's some missionary folks calling themselves the American Colonization Society. They're the ones heading the whole thing up. They're helping folks get a ticket, and I'm one of them. There's only one problem I got to deal with, and it ain't the money. Well, tell me what it is then. Maybe I can help. I don't think you can help. Try me. This is going to sound strange, but I need my papers. I'm not sure who holds them. Seems everyone else knows where to look but me. Dabney is beholden to your Uncle Galt. Mama was with Mrs. Ellis. Mr. Allen's got names in his ledger too, except I'm not one of them. I've been lent hither and yon so many times, I do not know where I belong anymore, and it ain't like I can ask anyone. Eddie listened to everything Julia had to say. He hated to see her upset. He had to help, even if it meant putting his own needs aside for once. I'll find out, he promised. (laughs) How you gonna do that, Eddie? Pa has me working at Ellis and Allen this summer, remember? He and Mr. Ellis are in and out of that office all day long. Sometimes I stop by and no one's in there for hours. And that's why they're making me work in the office, in case someone comes in. So I'm going to have access to those files. All of them. Juliet was stunned by the generous offer. Eddie, 
You would do that for me? Of course, Juliet. You're my best friend. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars, and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.